Welcome back. We're a couple games in to the bubble playoffs. And Taylor, I wanted to share one quick thought for each NBA playoff series. Maybe it's something that you've thought about. Maybe it's something you haven't thought about yet. But the playoffs, I think, are a little more interesting than anticipated thus far. Um, Would you say the same? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, There are some storylines, and the play has been uh, pretty even thus far through most of the series. Absolutely. So with that that in mind, we're going to jump right into it. I want to talk about the most talked about series, which is number one and eight in the West, the Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers. And man, there's been, you know, people across the board on different opinions. Charles Barkley picked a sweep for the Blazers, which was quite comical. We knew that wasn't going to going to happen um, with the way that the Blazers stormed into the NBA playoffs uh, with the play of Damian Lillard being out of this world. Um, a lot of people hopping on the Portland bandwagon. And uh, we know Micah, who is a brother of ours, uh, was big time on the, the, the Blazers from, from the jump because uh, he's a big Damian Lillard fan. And, and I don't know how you can't be somewhat of a Damian Lillard fan watching this guy play. He's fantastic. But here's the thing. I picked the Lakers to win the title. Um, I would not be upset if they lost in the first round to the Blazers. That'd be totally fine with me. But again, seven game series, LeBron and Anthony Davis can be guarded. They can be guarded. All right. There's not a player really, unless you say maybe Giannis could do a pretty solid job on Anthony Davis. But when you got two of the best athletes in the NBA, LeBron, who's been there time and time again, he's not going to get rattled in this situation. I don't see how the Blazers, as fun as they are to root for and watch, I don't see how it's realistic for them to win this series unless they just play out of their minds for what has now become a five-game series. The only way if they shoot the three like crazy, and I'm not just talking McCollum and Lillard, I'm talking about guys like like Trent, you know, who, who's, who's coming in. I'm talking about a Carmelo is going to need to have a couple really old-school type games. They're going to need – a lot of firepower in order to do something magical with, with this series. Yeah. I think that uh, the recipe kind of lined up for, you know, you being able to talk yourself into some kind of crazy upset with this Blazers team. And the fact that Lillard and McCollum are really difficult matchups. Um, And you saw that in the first game, it was like McCollum just has so many moves. He can get, he can get a jump shot really anytime that he wants. Uh, Davis had had a good scoring game, but he was inefficient. And then LeBron had that crazy triple-double, but never really, like, dominated. I mean, there's differences between putting up just incredible stats and then also looking at um, someone while they're playing it as saying, like, this dude has total control of the game. Um, so the Blazers won that one. And then in game two, they kind of came back, came back down to earth um, and you're seeing the difference between somebody like a McCollum being able to create a shot anytime that he wants 
Um, but it's, but it's sometimes going to be a difficult shot. So it could be a fadeaway, um, a step back after having done a couple of behind the backs or coming off a spin move, um, versus what Anthony Davis is able to do, which is create a shot anytime that he wants. And oftentimes it's at the rim and getting somebody like Nurkic on his heels, uh, white side on his heels and being able to go in and even shoot a floater, or just finish at the rim. And that's the difference, man. The ease of the ease that that they can get um, scoring done. LeBron can always go to the post. They're having you know somebody like Gary Trent or Carmelo try to guard him, and it's just not it's just not going to work. And LeBron hasn't even really played you know that well. Like he had a great first game last night. I think he only had ten points, six rebounds, six assists. And so if he just even kicks it into another gear, then yeah, I definitely think that this could be over um, five, six games. But this wasn't necessarily an accurate showing from from Lillard last night either. So we'll see what happens. But definitely Lakers going to take this series. And Lillard, you know, dislocates his finger. They said he's fine. But I, there might be a little bit of a adjustment period for game three as he kind of figures out how he wants to dribble, handle the ball. It's obviously a lot of pressure dribbling the basketball all the time as a dominant uh, ball handler and scorer when you have a messed up finger. He'll figure it out. But the question is, how long will it take him to get the treatment today? And then you got to jump in and play tomorrow. Not a whole lot of time to heal. And then, you know, does he figure out how he wants to shoot it by the second quarter? Is it not until the third quarter? And is that enough time for them to lose the game? Is just that slight amount of adjustment that he has to figure out in the heat of the game, how much is that finger actually bothering? Hopefully it's, it's nothing serious. Um, you, don't, you don't have much time um, to mess around with the Lakers because they're so big and they can offensive rebound. The, the margin of error is so slim. And so you can't really, yeah, like give them a quarter to, to try to figure yourself out because they're going to be off and running, man, with, with AD and the size that they have, and then LeBron is just it's crazy. Right. And, I mean, I didn't even plan to spend this much time talking about Lakers Blazers, but I did want to note, um, you know, it sounds like Rondo is going to be back this series, and that's going to be a positive. And no matter what level Rondo is at, it's going to be an upgrade compared to the lineups that they've had to throw out there. They've had to go big a lot because they just don't have the depth at the guard positions. So getting Rondo back is going to allow LeBron and it's going to allow Davis to fit into some of their uh, more regular roles that they play throughout the course of the season. That's also going to help them. And then obviously getting somebody to chase around those guards for the Blazers is going to help as well. Okay, moving on. Strange series, Boston-Philadelphia. I thought that even without Ben Simmons, although Ben Simmons is arguably um, an all third team NBA, I didn't put him there, but you could definitely argue that if there was like a fourth team all NBA, he's on that at least uh, with what he does defensively, passing the ball, just his impact on the game. They're not as good without Ben Simmons. But I thought that Embiid would be such a matchup nightmare for the Celtics who are so guard and perimeter heavy that it would look like they were going to make this a series. I had the Celtics winning, but not at, you know, it looks like this is going to be a sweep. 
And so that's been a, a surprise to me is, is watching the Sixers play. It kind of looks like they're ready to go home. They're just, let's get this thing over with. We're tired. And the Celtics seem to be finding that playoff groove that seems uh, familiar to what we've seen in the past few years besides the, the Kyrie Irving season. What do you think? Yeah, I, I thought that maybe Embiid would would take note of, you know, Simmons not being there and just and just saying, like, you know, I got nothing to lose. Uh, the only thing that I can do is just show my dominance in this series and get upset um, and, and try to win a couple games, at least make it competitive. But seeing his face on the bench after game two was – it was kind of telling. And so I would not be surprised if there's quite a shakeup for this franchise. Um, I don't know that they're going to do away with – you know, either Simmons or Embiid. Um, but I definitely think there's probably going to be a coaching change. I mean, we saw that with the Pelicans. You have a team that goes in to the bubble and they're not competitive in the way that you want. So if this ends up being over in four or five games, I could see the franchise being like, hey, Brett, what what were you doing with our guys, man? We got to have a better showing than that and maybe uh, booting him out of town finally. So that's my main takeaway is just, yeah, the, the competitive – the lack of competitiveness from Philadelphia. And then also with Hayward out, I think it's kind of empowering. Uh, there are other two studs, stud wings and, and Tatum and Brown. And they've been, they've been really putting up good numbers in those first two games. Yeah. They're going to want Hayward, you know, overall makes them a better team, but it sure certainly does simplify things. And as we've talked about with other episodes, you know, there's, it's easier to play when you know your minutes and your role and, you know, it's not just an off night that is going to affect your playing time because you're so much better than the player that's going to be put in behind you. You're going to get your minutes easier to get a rhythm. Next series, Toronto, Brooklyn. Taylor, I have nothing to say about this series. I think it should be a sweep. If it's a gentleman sweep, five games. You know, that wouldn't be surprising either. This is this is the NBA. But Toronto looks like they're they're playing like a Toronto team and they have a lot of pride in how they play. They want to show teams that hey, it wasn't just Kawhi Leonard and and that's it. And, you know, I didn't think a whole lot of this Brooklyn team coming in to the playoffs. So I mean, I'm thinking four or five games. Yeah, not much to add to that. I mean, Toronto just they play so well together and they're going to be able to just pick apart some of the lesser teams in the playoffs like this with really no problem. Um yeah, man. I don't know. Any but still anytime I see a team like Brooklyn, I just wonder why the Pistons can't find some sort of rele- relevance like they do. <laughs> but that's a different conversation. That is a different different conversation. Um Denver, Utah maybe the most entertaining series thus far, thus far, Donovan Mitchell drops 57 points. That's only outdone by Michael Jordan and Elgin Baylor and playoff history. I mean, as you're watching this game, and I don't know about you. I watched that game. Yeah. Man, bucket, bucket, every which way you wanted it. Donovan Mitchell was giving it to you. And then Denver pulls that game out in overtime. It was one of the best games I've seen in recent years was that game one, Denver-Utah. It was just a phenomenal game. Murray went nuts in the fourth quarter in overtime. It was 
I mean, if you haven't watched that game, just YouTube, you know, highlights game one, Denver, Utah, and watch, watch the long highlights, like the 10 minute long highlights. It was a, a fantastic game. And this series for me is, is up in the air. It's tied one, one, um, a lot more role player help for Utah in game two. Denver, I'm enjoying seeing their roster develop. I think they've done a fantastic job in the draft, picking these these players that just they keep getting better within the, the Denver system. Jokic is one of my favorite players to watch in the entire NBA. Um, personally, if there was a side that I was rooting for, I'm, I guess I'm rooting for the Nuggets, although I don't really have a reason to root for, for either side. I just think their, their style of play is a little bit more appealing uh, to me. But either way, I can see this series going the distance. Yeah, I think the series could go, could go seven if it follows in line with that game one at all. And they've traded games um, in these first two, but that was, that was incredible to see the numbers and the ways that Donovan Mitchell was scoring and then just the trading of buckets between him and Murray was, was awesome. And the way that these guys can score now, and we talk about it all the time, is like the three-level scoring. Um, both Murray and Donovan do the three-level scoring. So it can be drilling the deep three. It can be step-back uh, jumpers and then also getting to the rim. So this is a really awesome matchup. And I think it's probably going to go seven. Yeah. And I would get your popcorn ready. It's a, it's a great series to, to watch. Next one, Milwaukee, Orlando. Don't have a whole lot to say. I mean, Orlando snuck one in. Vucevic had a great game one, big stretch center that can, can shoot the ball. Um, so if we're just breaking it down to first round, I mean, I, I think Milwaukee won game two. I think they're going to win the next three. It's going to be a five-game series. I'd be surprised if they win. Orlando wins another game. But it goes to show my concern for Milwaukee. They're one-dimensional. And I honestly watching them, there's nothing that I see within their team that I say, oh, that's a lot better than last season. And if, if there is something, please let me know that, that I'm missing. Sure, Giannis is better. And some of their role players, I feel like, you know, have improved their game a little bit. But I don't think Middleton is, is a good enough second-tier player for a championship team. I feel like their three-point shooting isn't elite as it needs to be if you're going to play around a guy like Giannis. I feel like the offense is a little too predictable. Giannis is going to come at you. He's going to try to create an advantage and then score or kick it, you know, drive, kick, swing, get an open three. And as we saw last year, once you hit a good game defensive game plan against a high-level coach with the pieces that can play great, solid individual and team defense, I just don't think that that type of offense is good enough to win. If Giannis had a mid-range jump shot, I would say he's good enough and talented enough to to win a title, um, but but he's not there yet, and I think he will get there over over time. But this season, you know, don't don't be surprised if they don't make the finals this year. Yeah, I was picking them to go to the finals, and then with this first series, it's like 
you don't have to necessarily worry about this series, but like you were saying, it doesn't mean you can't show some of your warts that can pop up later. And I, th- I thought that, that they would have enough if each guy collectively got a little bit better, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Middleton had two points in the last game. And that just kind of shows you the difference in the help that, that Giannis has. Um, he would fit so well on a team like, like Miami. And I know that sounds strange because Jimmy Butler's uh, on that team, but it's like, you almost need to, to compete for a championship realistically. Your second best player almost needs to be able to be a first option on like 80% of the teams in my mind. And that's what Butler is. Um, I just don't think he has the help and I think it's going to come back to bite him, you know, in a series against a team like Toronto. I agree. I think that they're just a piece away. John Horst, some pride baby general manager. Um, I hope that they can piece one, one more together for that team um, to really take their, their teams to the next level, which is the championship level. That's the next place that they really have to to go that's where their aspirations are at I don't know if Bledsoe is uh, quite the level of your primary ball handler aside from Giannis that can get it done at the championship level I mean he's he's legit he can play um, but to be able to have a savvy a savvy point guard type that can run the show and take a lot of consistent pressure off Giannis that's what they need he, um, he shrinks in the playoffs. Um, I don't know how the finance, financials would work out, but I wonder what it would take to get somebody like Chris Paul in there for just a year or two to try to make a run at this thing. You do not want to waste Giannis's prime. I'm afraid that's what's going to happen. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris Paul's making like 45 million a year. Yeah, um, that's too much. So that's, that's probably not going to happen. Um, but uh Something along the lines of, like you said, I thought Butler was a good a good example. Somebody that can create a broken play. And it's funny you both said guys that can knock down mid-range shots. You know, I saw the stat that Chris Paul was the leading uh, scorer this past season at both elbows. Hmm. I thought that was really telling of how good he is at creating a tough shot when the clock's winding down. The It's, it's, it's drop help off of a ball screen and he can kind of get into the elbow area and hit that step back or that fade away. And those are big, tough, tough shots, which leads us into the next series, Houston, OKC. And although you never want to see a player injured like Westbrook is, and he's out, I have to admit it got me a little bit more excited to watch this series because it, in my opinion, it became much more even. You can lose a guy like Westbrook who again, almost averages triple double. Uh, although Houston didn't play great in the bubble, you know, they had some stretches in the second half of the season where you're like, wow, these guys are clicking. And Westbrook is learning how to play off the ball, which I never knew he would he would get. And he was like flashing to the elbows. He was cutting to the basket. He was getting offensive rebound putbacks, which he's always done some of that. And then his ability to play extremely fast and really not by playing that fast, he's not taking some of those possessions away that Harden needs to be effective. It's like, ooh, this team is intriguing. Then he gets hurt. And with the fact that, as we talked about before, essentially Harden, it sounds like, got Chris Paul out of there. And, I mean, we know if Harden would have wanted Chris Paul on that team, 
he's on the team still. That's how it goes with, you know, a handful of big time NBA players. You get a lot of say with the roster that is there. So Chris Paul goes, they flip him for, for Westbrook. Both teams, in a sense, win that trade. And now Westbrook's out. And I'm like, oh, this is it. Like, it's, it's, West, or it's Harden against Chris Paul. And this is going to be just fight tooth and nail. It's going to be a, a great series. And the way that Houston has played, even without like a, you know, Harden played solid the first game, game two, eh, he was okay. And that Houston still came out and, and won. Their bench played great. Uh, I'm surprised that OKC hasn't hit. Um, I thought this would be 1-1. I thought there was a good chance that OKC could win the series if Westbrook doesn't play. And I'm looking very, very wrong on some of those thoughts that I had about this series so far. Yeah, I'm thinking if if Houston ends up finishing this series off in four or five games, that we're talking about them kind of being a dark horse in the West. Um, and I feel that same way about the Miami Heat in the East, just kind of seeing the way that they're playing right now. And if they can plug Westbrook, you know, right back in and he starts doing his thing, which I'm, I'm fairly certain that he will. Um, I, I still, I, I just love that they're doubling down. Now, while I don't always enjoy watching Houston style play, I think they shot, didn't they shoot an NBA record for threes in the last game? Was it 55? Yep. The Um, NBA record for threes. And I don't always appreciate that, but there's something to be said about doubling down and creating mismatches and going small. And who knows, man, if they end up in a series against the Lakers, like do they let AD go off for 45, but they, but they sneak out a couple of games? I don't know. I could see it. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is about this too is I don't really like watching the Thunder or the Rockets play. There's just not enough ball movement for me. Um, but somehow when I saw this matchup, and I'm sure some of it is the, you know, the, the chemistry and the fact that Chris Paul used to be on the, the Rockets, Westbrook, vice versa. Um, I was like, man, this is actually one of the series that I'm, I'm, series that I'm most excited to watch in the first round. So it's kind of funny how that worked. So two playoff series that we have not talked about yet. One, Indiana, Miami. Man, I like this series. I really like watching Miami play, and I like the pieces that Indiana has. I think next year, I mean, that's a team that you can be really, really excited about. Miami seems like a better version and a more seasoned version of what Indiana is when I watch these two teams play, like a little tougher. They got Butler, a little more experience, and Butler's ability to be – as unselfish as he is, you know, watching the game yesterday, there were, there were times where Butler drives to the basket and most 1A players on their team are going to take that shot and they're going to either get fouled, they're going to make it or miss it, but they're taking that shot. And instead, he would kind of go up, bring it back around to his waist and fire it out to one of their three-point shooters. And it was that trust, that selflessness, that makes these guys really fun to watch. And it also is like, man, this makes these guys dangerous because they're not just putting everything on Butler's back and say, like, hey, you got to shoot it 25, 30 times, and we're going to go from there. Butler's like, no, I'm just going to create. And if you guys got a shot, 
let it go. And with guys like Hero and Robinson and just the pieces that they've put put around, Bam Adebayo, man, he's a monster. He's fun to watch. Um, this is a, a team that can do some damage. And as I look at the Eastern Conference, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season that Miami had a shot to make the finals, I'd say no way. But after looking at kind of the breakdown of the Eastern Conference, are they my pick? Of course not. But they have a much better chance than I would initially thought to make a deep run in this year's Eastern Conference. What do you think? Agreed. These are a couple of junkyard dogs that are going at it this series, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, I don't know that I would peg the Heat as being maybe like the more experienced version of the Pacers. I think what a lot of it is is the fact that you know, Oladipo is unhealthy and he was the Jimmy Butler for that team uh, being able to score in the mid twenties before he got, before he got injured. So that would really change things if he was, if he was healthy and hopefully he can come back in the years to come. Um, But games like this should just give franchises like, uh, like mid-level franchises, like a blueprint to build competitive teams. You draft well, you find guys that can play together and you plug them in and you find yourself as a four or five seed like year in and year out. And that's what the Pacers do, uh, what the Heat do. I mean, to have young players like Hero, Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Bam Adebayo that within their first two years in the league are all like in the starting lineup or a six man on a competitive team, that is really impressive. And it also comes down to coaching. I mean, we know Spolstra's one of the best coaches in the league. Um, so just to, to watch these guys that aren't necessarily household names, but are maybe turning themselves into, into some is really cool. And then this seems to be the type of environment that Jimmy Butler wanted. He's spoken about it where he's like, you know, I thought Minnesota would be cool because I'd be meeting up with my old coach. Turns out those guys aren't competitive. They, they can't take me riding them. Uh, and he's like, and Miami's totally different. You know, we grind. That's the type of person I am. And so this is like a match made in heaven. And that's what that's what makes this series so fun and why I think the Heat, yeah, are a dark horse in the East. It's, it was cool to hear. Um, I think Goran Dragic was on the, um, the podcast and he was, at, he was on the Heat. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Goran Dragic? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Dragic. Um, the Dragic. And – talking about how, you know, Jimmy Butler, like he, he's going to get on you and different people in the media have talked about like Jimmy Butler is going to hold you accountable. He's going to get on you. And it's been put in such a positive light. And it's funny where I'm like, I'm pretty sure Jim Butler is the same dude he was in Philadelphia and he's the same dude he was in Minnesota, but that was put in a negative light because other people didn't want him <laughs> getting on, getting on their butt like that. And then you go to Miami and they're like, yeah, this is the kind of guy that we want in our, on our team. He's holding everybody to a high standard accountability winning. And that's one of the reasons that we're successful. And I just thought that was really telling of the heat franchise, the, mm-hmm. the type of players that they have on their team compared to some of the other teams in the NBA. Yeah, and what are you going to do if if you don't like that? You're going to go complain to Pat Riley? Probably not. No, he's <laughs> cut from the same cloth. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Last series, Tay, Clippers, Dallas. What are your thoughts? Oh man, this is 
this is a couple things. Um, I'm actually becoming more down on the Lakers, as, as strange as that sounds, and more up on the Clippers. I just like – Really? Wow, yeah. this is surprising. Okay. Um, and, I, and I don't know that it's anything related to these respective series that they're in. It's just what's bouncing around in my head. Um, but they have two elite wing defenders that are also elite scorers. And I, I think that there's something to be said for that after we're going to watch this Portland Lakers series play out. And I know that that's not what we're talking about right now, um, but I'll bring it back around. So there's going to be something to be said for that um, by the time uh, the Lakers and the Clippers meet in the Western Conference Finals. And so I'm actually kind of leaning more towards the Clippers. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Dallas isn't going to probably steal another game, if not more, from them. Luka is is out of this world. Um, I think he had 10 turnovers in the first game, 10 or 11 turnovers. But still, he dropped 42 or 43 points. Um, the guy is the here and he's the now. And it's it's just been at a pace like that you couldn't imagine. I mean, after his first year, you, you thought he could be something special, but to do this against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George is pretty incredible. And what a headache, man, to play against, to play against a guy like that. When you're, when you're trying to win a championship like the Clippers and you're, you're up against a team like Dallas, um, yeah, you can beat them, but they're going to make you work. And somebody like Luca, who's already great. Um, you know, it's not, just for that reason, it's not an easy series in the way that you would kind of want it uh, for your first round series. Yeah, the Mavericks are, I mean, I had Luca as all NBA first team this year. Uh, he's just a, a matchup nightmare. Porzingis got ejected um, in the third quarter. I thought that was a terrible ejection. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, let's, let's let these guys play a little bit, especially in the playoffs. Um, he had a drive on Kawhi where he kind of got Kawhi on his hip and then he bodied him. Kawhi actually went back. Kawhi's a great defender, so he recovered. And then Doncic gives like a shot fake, little body finish, step through, score. I was like, man, there might be him and LeBron might be the only two people in the league to do that exact move and score on a Kawhi Leonard. Like that's how high level – the move was and the fact that this guy's 21 doing that is is scary um defensively they can't match up with with the clippers but here's what what i think you should keep an eye out for with with the clippers i'm not as high on them as you are i was concerned about the fact that Kawhi leonard doesn't look the same to me you always say hey we're saving ourselves towards the towards the playoffs what's the playoffs now and Dallas is no slouch. It's time to, it's time to play. And he just looks a little bit step slow. Um, again, I don't see the chemistry there as far as, you know, like when I watch Kawhi and Paul George play individually, great talents, but the pieces don't fit as well as the pieces fit when he was on the Raptors last year. Everybody knew their role. Everybody was going to do a, B, and C in order to fill out their role. And there just seems to be too much overlap where guys aren't necessarily playing off of one another so much as being who they are and trying not to get in each other's way. And 
that's going to hurt them down the road. It might cost them a playoff series down the road. I don't know if that'll be till the Western Conference Finals, the NBA Finals, whatever that'll be. Um, maybe they'll win in spite of that. And then the other thing that I'm concerned about is their interior defense when it comes to, and I said it before against playing the Lakers, not a good matchup for Anthony Davis. Um, even Porzingis having that, that big game, it's like, man, he's just so big. And uh, the Clippers, like the Clippers would be a nice matchup for the Rockets. They can play the Rockets, they can play small ball, and they can play small ball better than, than the Rockets could. But there's some teams that are big that I feel like can really give the Clippers trouble, and that might hurt them when it comes to getting out of the West. With that said, Taylor, we've covered all eight rounds, two games in of the NBA bubble playoffs. Anything that we missed out on or anything that you want our listeners to take a look at heading into eight games um, over, I mean, it's four games every day, four games today, four games the next day until, you know, one of these teams is, is gone. No, I just, I, I just would encourage people to, to make sure you're catching some of these other games. I know it's sexy to watch Lakers, Portland, but make sure you're watching Indiana, Miami, um, teams like that. And, and start to pick your dark horses, man. If, I, I feel like if anything crazy could happen where we could have a four or a five seed um, winning a championship this year, why wouldn't it be in a place like a place like the bubble? So catch these games. Um, keep your eyes on them. They're exciting. They are exciting. And, and right now there's three series that's like, all right, whatever. It's Toronto, Brooklyn. I'm not really that intrigued about it. Milwaukee, Orlando, not really intriguing to me. And then – Boston, Philadelphia, I was really high on watching that series. And now it's like, all right, Philadelphia is ready to head, ready to head home. So, but the other five, I mean, those are must watch basketball games, NBA playoffs. This is what, what you want to see. And I hope that you think about a couple of those, those things that Taylor and I brought up within this podcast as you're watching the NBA playoffs moving forward. So Tay, thanks for getting on this, this quick episode. I'll leave it to you to shut it down. Yeah, man. Looking forward to uh, kind of revisiting some of these series, you know, after they wrap up, I think we'll, we'll have a couple that'll be wrapping up within the next two or three games. And then a couple more that might be going a longer distance. So we'll revisit that in a little bit here. Uh, thanks for the insight and thank you guys for listening. Peace. Thank you. Thank you.